So we're going to begin here at the bottom of Kufkaf, Bedem Bed, by the two dots. Hotel Adam Karnus. Amar Rabiudah, Karnus Shel Egozim, Fatseya Bot Egozim. The Mishnah, when it says you can take a hammer, it's talking about a hammer that was designated for cracking nuts. Basically a nutcracker. Aval Shel Nifachim, Lo. But if it was a blacksmith's hammer, then you couldn't use it. Because that's Kli Yishim Lachto Lisur. Kasavar. It's clear that he holds here. Tavar Yishim Lachto Lisur. Afilu Tzorach Kufo Asur. Something that is normally used for work that would be otherwise impermissible on Shabbat, then even if you utilize it for something that is mutar on Shabbat, that would be a sur, because this is what is designated as a klish malachtoli sur. rabo, meato, seifo, diktani. How are you going to explain the remainder of the Mishnah? The Mishnah says, vetarachat, vetamalgez. So those we already met in the Mishnah, that's the winnowing shovel and the pitchfork. The tetelav, the katan. You're going to use that to give food to a katan. These aren't the type of tools that you specifically designate to feed your children with. It just happens to be that you're using them now to feed the katan. Rabba says that even if it's a blacksmith's hammer, you're allowed to use it to crack the nuts. So he holds... Something that is normally used for isur... As long as you utilize it in a normal manner that it's used to do something that is mutar on Shabbat, that is fine. You can move it. You can lift it up on Shabbat. We have a problem from the Tosefta. It says, Meducha. Im yeshba shum mitaltolinota. Inav ain mitaltolinota. Meducha is a mortar. If it has garlic inside of it, then you're allowed to move it. If it doesn't have garlic inside of it, you're not allowed to move it. That would indicate, or that would seem to mean that the garlic is the only thing that allows you to move it. If it was Tzorak Gufo, then we wouldn't allow you to move it, which is against what Rabba said. Obviously, the Meducha, the mortar, is something that's normally used for something that's restricted on Shabbat, not permitted on Shabbat. So therefore, we should say that it's totally fine with Tzorak Gufo, and yet the only dispensation that the Tosefta gives is for Shum, for garlic being inside it. Amalei, Hamani, who's the author of the Tosefta? Rabbi Nechemiah, Damar Nital, El Tashmisho. Rabbi says you only let to use a Kli, a utensil, for its primary purpose. Whatever the primary designated purpose is, that's what you're allowed to carry it for on Shabbat. You're not allowed to alter its usage on Shabbat. If that's the case, over here, the Mducha, its primary purpose is to be a mortar, and therefore you can't carry it for Tzorach Kufo. So he puts the Tosefta into Rabbi Nechemia's position, and we're going to see this Tosefta come up later today, and they're going to give alternative answers to that. Eitive. Now we have, from the Mishnah and Beitzo, says Vishavin. Gemara here, probably doesn't belong in the Gemara, but it's just a Beitzama. One is not allowed to take the, whether it's a pestle here or whether it's a cutting board, on which they used to crush wheat. Beitzelel Matirim. Beitzelel says it's fine. This is an object that is muksa, but it's a klishmach tov isur. Can you utilize it on Yom Tov for Simchat Yom Tov? Because you're going to cut the meat in order to eat the meat on Yom Tov. Vishavim. Shimgatzavalav basar. If you already cut up the meat on it, Shasur letaltalo. After that point, you can't carry it. Because your Simchat Yom Tov has already been finished, fulfilled. You've cut your meat. You have no more heter usage for it. Now everybody agrees, Beit Shemai and Beit agree you can't carry it. So again, the question is, why can't you carry it? Let's Kufo, according to Rabbah. According to Rabbah, there shouldn't be any restriction, even after you finish cutting the meat. If you have another purpose for it that's mutar on Shabbat, you want to use it to smash something with it, break something with it that's mutar on Shabbat, then why can't you utilize it? He thought about saying the same answer that he gave before. Which is that this is according to the opinion of Nehemi that you can only utilize an object for its primary purpose. Kevin de Shama the Hadamar of Khinina Barshamaya, Mishmaid Rav. After he heard this memra from Rubkhino and Barshamaya in the name of Rav, then he changed his mind and said this is the answer, which is a komodim, Besichi, Zairi, Umizuri. Everybody agrees by these three items. The translate Rashi brings two possibilities about what they are. One of them is that they are the Utensils of a dyer, person who tzoveya, someone who colors, dyes the clothing. And the sikhi would be the pins, the zairi are the tubs, and the mizuri are the beams. Rashi brings from his rebbe that the other possibility is that these are the clay or beam, these are from the weavers. Sikhi are the amudim, the uprights for the loom, and then the zairi are the kanim that are inserted inside of the sheti. And then the mizuri are the kovidelion, the upper bar and the lower bar of the loom. But Rashi rejects them because he says that he thinks the words don't mean that, and therefore he thinks it's the dyer's tools. Tosafot offers a third alternative, that these are actually utensils of the launderer. And the sikhi are the 
pegs that they used to use to comb this silk. Zairi are these wooden beams that are used to press the clothing. And the Missouri are the staffs or wooden sticks that they used to bang on the clothing to clean them out, to cleanse them. But what's specific about them is that the cave in the cupboard alayu makom. So this is a very important principle in Muksa. It's going to come up a number of times on the daf, which is that since he's makpid on them, the craftsman doesn't want them to get dirty, doesn't want them to get ruined, bent, changed, and therefore he's mikatsalahembiyadayim. That he specifically says, I don't want to touch these things. I don't want to utilize them except for their primary purpose. They're worth too much to me in terms of their benefit from their utility for their primary purpose that there's no way that I wanted to use them for anything else. There's no way I'm going to let anybody use them, and there's no way I'm going to use them for anything else. So this is what is otherwise known as Muksa Machmat Kisarun Kis. It's Muksa because the value of the object is so high for its particular purpose that you're not going to have any alternative purposes to it, and therefore it's Muksa on Shabbat because, as he says here, you're going to put it in its place, you're going to lock it up, and nobody's going to touch it. That you put it out of mind, you put it out of sight, it's just not an object that you would touch on Shabbat. So Hachanami, so he says the same thing over here, So that's the answer, and that truthfully could be the answer for both of the two to verse Toseftas for Rabba, which is that they could be Muksa, Mahmad, Chirsar, and Gis. It seems to be the Gemara is only saying about the Eli, that that was an item that's specifically used for cutting on it, therefore they wouldn't use it for anything else, and that's his point. You can use it for cutting meat, even though its primary purpose is for cutting or crushing wheat on it. As Tosfot over here says, because of Simcha Diomtov, they'll make a small dispensation to allow you to cut the meat on this type of big cutting board or crushing board, but nothing else. So it is Muksa, Mahmad, Chirsar, and Gis, with the exception of this dispensation for Simcha Diomtov, on which you would cut the meat because that's its only purpose. You would not use it for anything else. Now, cutting meat on Yom Tov is mutar because of Simchat Yom Tov, but otherwise, there's nothing else you can do with this board because that's its only singular purpose. You would not use it for anything else. And that's why it's muksa outside of that primary purpose. You could argue the same thing by the Meducha. It's not clear to that the Gemara goes back that far, but you could argue the same thing there. These are all tools or utensils where we're not going to allow you alternative uses, and that's why... Even though Rabbah says generally, you can use for Tzorik Kufo, these will be exceptions. Because even though they're and you should be allowed to use them Tzorik Kufo, there's a mitigating factor, which is they're just too valuable. And since they're too valuable, nobody's going to let you do that. Itmar, hammer of the gold workers, Shaninu. That which is written in the Mishnah is not the blacksmith hammer, but the goldsmith's hammer. The goldsmith is a little more makpid on his hammer because he has to pound down the gold and make sure that it's flat. And if the hammer gets ruined at all, then it's going to punch holes in the metal that he's flattening. But he has the alternative to bang it on the anvil and to flatten it out. So he will let you use it for some other things. So it is a klishim lakdodi sur, but not so designated for its primary purpose that he won't let you crack a, a nut with it. Probably prefer you didn't, but if you did it, he can still straighten out the hammer. Shemin barava marakonus shelb samim shenio. Talking about a spice hammer, one they used to crush the spices with. So that's the hammer that's being mentioned in our Mishnah. Mandamar bisamim. The one who says it's a spice hammer and you could use it on Shabbat koshkein de zavim. And certainly you can use the goldsmith's hammer because the spice hammer, you don't want to get dirty at all. You don't want anything bad to happen to it because it's going to be pounding food afterwards. It's going to ruin the spices if it has any other thing on it. Anything that's foreign touches the hammer. So if you allow that on Shabbat, then certainly you would allow the goldsmith's hammer. Mandamar zavim. According to the one who says that the hammer we're speaking about here is the goldsmith hammer, the b'samim hammer, he would put into the category of muksa machmat chisarum kis. He would say that that's something that people put away and they won't let them use it for any alternative purpose. Now the Gemara says, Vitakush, Vitakarkar. So again, we saw these in the Mishnah. The Kush is the spindle, the Karkar, the shuttle. Tchobbo, you can use them. They're pointy. You can use them to spike into something, push into something, and to take it out. If you need a longer reach to reach something, then you can use it to pull it out that way. Tarnabanan, Paga, Shetamna B'Tevin, Bichara, Shetamna B'Gichalim. You have a unripe fig that is placed into the tevin, which is into the straw. Now the straw here is muksa because this straw is going to be used as one of the ingredients, one of the raw materials in making cement. It's an unripened fig. You stick in the unripened fig in order to ripen there. Vichara, you have some sort of cake or bread that you stick inside of the coals. They heat it up to cook it inside the coals. Imigule mixata. If a portion of it is visible, then mutar the tautala. You can pull it out. Vimlav. Asur the Tautala. If not, you cannot pull it out. Velazer ben Tadaya Omer. 
Tochvim bekushu bekarkar. You can lance it with the kushu the karkar. Vehem in arot meilehem. And the other objects move by themselves. So here you have a machloket in how to access something that's inside of muksa. It's inside of the straw. It's inside of the coals. You're going to pull the object out. It's going to move the other items which are muksa. So how do you go about doing this? So the Tanakama suggests that you can only do this if it's visible, if it's open and visible, because he does not even allow tiltul minatsad. He doesn't allow you even to go in and grab it in a way that will not directly move the muksa, but will have an impact on the muksa by moving it in an indirect manner. Right, so that Rashi says this happens memelo. That's how Rashi calls it. He says, there you're not really memtalto minatzad. When you pull it out, it simply drops into the hole that's left behind. There you're not being metalto the muksa. The muksa just falls in and collapses into the hole that you leave behind. On the other hand, if it's completely encapsulated by the muksa, and then you lance it with the kush of the karkar, when you're pulling it out at that point, there are coals that are around it. There's tev and there's straw around it. And as you pull it out, you're moving. Not because it's collapsing into the hole, but you have to, to expose it, to pull it out. You're going to move some of the muksa. You're not moving it directly because you're not picking it up moving. You're moving it by sliding out this object. You're pushing the muksa out of the way. And that's tiltul minha tzad. So the machloket here is about whether there it's permissible to have tiltul minha tzad by muksa on Shabbat. Tanakhama says you may not have tiltul minha tzad. Lazar ben Tadai says, Tuchvim bakush bakarvim narot me'alehem, that's fine. Amr Avnach, when alocha k'rav Lazar ben Tadai. Locha is like of Lazar ben Tadai, that tiltul minha tzad is permitted when it comes to muksa. The memra, the kasavar Rachnachman, and tiltul minha tzad lo shmei tiltul. It must be that Rav Nachman concludes that tiltul minha tzad is not a problem of moving muksa on Shabbat. V'amar Rav Nachman, haven't we bumped into Rav Nachman before? Hi, pugla, milamalo, lamato, shori. Mimato, lamalo, a seer, this radish that you have in the ground, it's already picked, it's been taken out of the ground, and we've seen this before, they went to store it back in the earth that's there, they have loose earth, they go back to store it there. How do you place it into the ground? If you place it into the ground right side up, which means that the wider end of the radish is on the top, and it narrows towards the bottom, that is permissible on Shabbat to pull out. Because when you're pulling it out, again, you're not moving any of the dirt. The wider is on the top, the narrower is on the bottom, you can just pull it out. But if it's the other way around, where you have it upside down, and the wider end is to the bottom, and the narrow end is to the top, as you pull it out, you're moving the dirt that's above it. Because you can't just simply pull it out and say the dirt's collapsing. That's not what's happening here. You actually have to lift it out, and the wider base is going to pull dirt up with it when you bring it up. And Rav Nachman says that's impermissible on Shabbat. The Tosafot notes in all these cases, both before with the Pagla, the Chorara, and this case over here, it has to be a case where... He places it in the ground, but intends to take it out during Shabbat. Because if otherwise, if he left it there during Shabbat, and there's a muksa item on him, it becomes a busis ledavar hasur. If you intend to leave it there, then it becomes a base that's holding up something that's a sur, and that would be impermissible to move on Shabbat. So it has to be a case where you intended for it to be taken out on the Shabbat. Rav Nachman over there says that's problematic, which would indicate that Rav Nachman thinks... That there's a problem with Tiltu Minatzad. And yet here, he's passing like Rabbi Lazar ben Tadai, who says Tiltu Minatzad is fine. So Umar says, Haderbei Rav Nachman Ayi. Rav Nachman retracted that position with regards to the radish. Because we see here, that he passes like Rabbi Lazar ben Tadai, that Tiltu Minatzad is fine. That would be true in the radish, no matter which direction the radish is in the ground. Because again, you're not directly lifting the muksa. You're only lifting the muksa in an indirect manner, which is permissible. Now the next case in the Mishnah is Machat Shel Yadli Toba Tokotz. You can take a needle, a sewing needle, to remove a thorn or splinter on Shabbat. If you have a needle whose hole has been eliminated, as Rashi says, its point has been removed. You basically rendered it useless with regards to sewing, stitching, because if it doesn't have a hole, you can't thread it. It does have a point, you can't stitch with it. That's our Mishnah. You can use a stitching needle to take out the thorn or the splinter. The coats doesn't care whether it has a hole in it or it doesn't have a hole in it. You can use it. I mean, if it has utility, then it's fine to take on Shabbat. That's the qualification for something to be mutar or not muksa on Shabbat is that it has to have utility. So this can still be utilized for the same purpose that you had it before, which is take out a coats. That's something you could do on Shabbat and therefore it shouldn't be a problem. It's a cleave for Shabbat. 
Even though in terms of its primary purpose, which was for sewing or stitching, that you can no longer do anymore. But that doesn't matter because you have something on Shabbat that you can do with it that is mutar. Is that really true? You have a needle whose hole or point has been taken off of it. It's tohorah. This is what I mentioned to you many times in Shabbat. Shabbat has to look what's classified as a kli, not classified as a kli. So it goes to the other halacha where we find designations in the Mishnah for as what is kli, what's not a kli, and that's in Tumantara. Just going through all these different types of utensils, determining what is a kli and what's not a kli. So the Gemara always goes there to find out, is this a kli or not a kli? You go there and you find out in the Masechet Kelim that if you have a needle like this, it's not a kli anymore. That's why it's still right. It's not Mikabel Tuma. So as far as Tuma is concerned, it's not designated as a kli. So why should it be designated as a kli for Shabbat? And here we have this first time that we break that paradigm that Tuma and Shabbat should be the same or parallel. And over here you say, Amar Abayi, Tuma Shabbat Karamit? You're asking a question from Tuma to Shabbat? Tuma Kli Maseba Inan. By Tuma, you need something that's functional, that you can actually use. Whereas, over here, Lina Shabbat, Mida Dechazi Ba'inan. You just need some, something simply that can have utility. It doesn't have to have its primary purpose in mind. It doesn't have to have something that it's made for in particular. It has to be something that has purpose on Shabbat. As long as there's some purpose on Shabbat, that's enough. Glee, you have to make it into a utensil. That's not a utensil when it loses its primary parts, like its point or its hole. So he says, I can separate between Tuma and Shabbat. So And on Shabbat, it has purpose. It has utility. Amarava, mandakamotiv, shoprakamotiv. Rav rejects Abayi's assumption that you can break between Shabbat and Tuma. Rav says, the one who asked the question is asking a good question. Linyan Tuma love Manohu. Linyan Shabbat Nami love Manohu. says, if it doesn't work for Tuma, it's not a kli for Tuma. It's also not a kli for Shabbat. And therefore, if the mission says it's no longer a kli by Tuma, it means it's no longer a kli by Shabbat, and you would not be able to carry it on Shabbat. In our mission, it's not a problem. You could just say it's a regular needle. The question is on Rav Yosef, who brought our Mishnah as a proof that even when the hole was missing or the point was missing, that he could still utilize it on Shabbat. That's where the question is on Rav Yosef. That we'll have to solve. But as Tosavot says over here, that if by Tumah, even if you're meyachedet, say you decided to use this needle for taking out splinters and thorns. That's what you designated for. It still would not be Mikabal Tumah. That designation is not enough to be making Mikabal Tumah. And therefore, since even even if you designate it for this purpose, it would not be Mikabal Tumah, since the hole or the point is gone. Therefore, the Yichud Inyan Shabbat will not help you as well. Whereas, if there was something in Tumah, if you were Meyachedit, if you designated for a specific purpose, you would be able to make it into a Kli in Tumah, then even on Shabbat, even if you don't designate it, it could still be a Kli on Shabbat. So that's how Tosfot has Rova's formulation, which is that here you can't change this needle into a Kli, period. Since no matter what you designate it for, it won't be a kli. Because of that, on Shabbat, you can't carry it. Had you been able to designate it somehow to be a kli, then on Shabbat, you would be able to move it even to have having designated that way. Meitavei, machad ben nukuva, ben she'ena nukuva, mutar l'taltola b'Shabbat, velo amru nukuva elen inyan tuma. So now we go back to Kelim, we bring the Tosefta. The Tosefta says, if you have a needle, whether it has a hole in it, whether it doesn't have a hole in it, it's mutar l'taltola b'Shabbat. You're explicitly, basically what Rabbi Yosef said, that even without a hole, you can still carry it on Shabbat. You only talked about the hole with regards to Tumah. So here you see the Tosefta clearly creating a dividing line between Shabbat and Tumah. Targama Abaye Aliba de Ravah. Abaye comes to the defense of Ravah, even though Abaye's opinion is different. This works well for Abaye. Abaye is separated between Tumah and Shabbat. Nevertheless, for Ravah, this is a problem. So Abaye comes to the defense of Rava and explains the Tosefta this way, Begumei Askinon, talking about unfinished Kelim. You have to bring the Kli to what we call Gemar Malacha, to its final stage. If you intend to make this needle and put a hole through into the needle, until you bring it to that final stage, it will not be Mikabel Tumah. We're talking about Gome. Gome means it's a raw material. Usually it's an unformed material, something that hasn't been finished. Right, so the needle over here is talking about metal. That metal is unformed in the sense that it doesn't have a hole in it that makes it into the final clee that you want, which is a needle to use for stitching. So now, in this case, Tosefta says that if it has a hole in it, it's Mikabel Tumah, because then it has its Gmar Malachal. Without the hole, it's not Mikabel because he didn't reach that final stage. Yet, by Shabbat, you're allowed to carry it in both instances. Rabbi says, because 
sometimes the person doesn't put the hole in it. Sometimes they leave the needle without the hole. So it could be that you can reach a Gemara Malacha without ever putting the hole in it. There's some people who use it that way. And that's enough to make it into a Kli with regards to Shabbat. And that's how he gets Rova out of this problem. That's Zimlin Demimlech who sometimes he decides otherwise. He rescinds his original intent of putting a hole in it. And therefore it would be a Kli here. And that's what Tosfot said before. If you can make it into a Kli, by designation over here, if you decide not to put a hole in it, and then you say, I'm going to use it this way, it will be Mechabal Tumah. Then on Shabbat, even if you don't do that, on Shabbat, that's sufficient to make it into a cleave for you on Shabbat. In case where the needle was already formed with the hole or the point on it, Adam the Ben Grutaot. If it breaks, if the hole breaks, is gone, or the needle, the point of the needle is gone, People throw it into there, what they call shivrei matechot, grutaot, they're all their broken pieces of metal, the recycling bin, basically. They throw it into the recycling bin, they're not going to use it anymore. Therefore, it would be problematic on Shabbat, to be muksa on Shabbat as well. That's how Abaye helps Rava to deal with this tosefta that seems to separate between Tumah and Shabbat. He basically reconciles the two within this tosefta in order that it won't be a question for Rovo. Right now the Gemara says, Asuve Yonoka. Now what exactly is Asuve Yonoka is a little bit unclear. Rashi says Asuve Yonoka is Lachlik Seder Eivarav Shunolad. When the baby is born, some of the limbs are dislocated. You run your hands over them. You're resetting the limbs back into place. Relocating them. That's what Rashi says it is. The Aruch, on the other hand, you can see on Aruch and the Mesorah Shas says that Shenafla Orlata Garon Shalatinok When something happens, there's some sort of skin or extra skin that falls over the child's throat. Then the Chaya goes and sticks her finger into the mouth. She moves it aside. There's sometimes that it causes the child to vomit. Because whenever you put your finger in that deeply into someone's throat, you have the involuntary action of vomiting. How can I prove that I'm right over here? That it's a sewer. It's not. Because we have a Mishnah. Ein usim afiktvizin. You can't make afiktvizin bishabbat. So you're not allowed to make an emetic. An emetic is some sort of drink that causes one to vomit. And it was utilized, especially in the Roman times, that if a person wanted to clear out their system and they wanted to eat more food but they were full... They used to use this emetic to force themselves to throw up, to vomit, and then to eat more. So Rashi says something very interesting over here. Velola rufua. This is not done for medicinal reasons, but Ella laharikit meav. Clear out your stomach. So you can eat more. They were not gozer on this because of shkikat simanim, which is the general problem with medicine. It's a for a different reason, which is that it fixes the person. It does something to make the person better. And that's a problem of Metakin Gavra. So even though there's not a problem of Rufuah, there's a problem of Metakin Gavra. And that should be the same thing that should be true with regards to this baby. By the baby, when you realign the limbs so they're not dislocated, you're Metakin Gavra. And Metakin Gavra should be problematic on Shabbat. It's the equivalent of Tikkun Kli. We don't allow you to do anything on Shabbat that looks like you're fixing or making something workable and usable. For instance, you go to the Mikveh and you go from being Tamei to Tahor, or even a Kli that you take to the Mikveh there. Since you've changed the status to be something now that is workable and is better off, that we look at it as if you've done something. It's all an Isur Durabanan. It's not a real Isur Minatorah. It just looks like you've done something that's equivalent of Malacha. Malacha is work that makes a creative change within the object to make it more usable or better. So, so to over here, in these situations, you're improving the situation for the child. The emetic, if you happen to like to do this, is beneficial in allowing you to eat more. The Aruch is clearly using the idea of pulling the skin away to make the baby be able to eat, or whatever it is that he's doing, which is Metakin Gavra, he mentions the vomiting part of it, because then it make, works better with the proof that Rav Nachman brings. He brings it from an emetic, which also involves vomiting. Assuming that's why he gave that explanation. What's very interesting is later on in the Mesechta, Rashi on Kupim Zayim Omud Bet, when it talks about these emetics, there the Gemara says that Bissam, if you use a potion, a drink of sort to create the vomiting, Asur Mishum Rifua. Biyad, if you do it by hand, then it's Mutar, because then it's not medicinal on Shabbat. 
There's a little problem for Rashi over here. Over there on Kukmir Zaymer Bet, Rukiv Eger points you back to this Rashi and says, Tarachin, because this Rashi seems to indicate there's no problem of Rufua here, simply a problem of Metakein Gavra, which is not what Rashi says on Kukmir Zaymer Bet. Rav Sheshet, how does Rav Sheshet say, Hatam, Lav Urchei. Of Sheshit says, you can't bring me a proof from Afiktvizin. Afiktvizin is a type of action that is unusual. It's not normal. People don't normally do this. People don't normally cause themselves to vomit. It's not a normal behavior. So that, maybe you can say, is problematic on Shabbat. But things that are considered to be normal course, when here, when you take care of the child, whether it's according to Rashi, realigning the limbs, or according to the Orach, pulling that piece of skin away, Rashi says it's Kemish Machileinu O Mashkeyu. It's as if you're feeding him and giving him to drink. You're making it possible for the child to thrive. In that case, that's considered to be normal course of business. That's about something unusual, what you call it, metaking gavra. So Amar Rav Sheshit, Rav Sheshit says, Benah, Minala, where will I prove my position from? Tonight we have a Mishnah. Machat Shalyad. If you have a needle, like our mission, we told by the coats. So there you go. You see here that you're allowed to fix a person. A person has a splinter or a thorn in them. You're allowed to remove the splinter or the thorn from the person. We don't call that metakin gavra. The same thing by the baby. Rav Nachman responds and says those are different. Haltam pokid. Over there, it's inserted. It's a exogenous item that's inside the individual. Over here, you're doing something that's internal to the person. Over there, the reason you're allowed to remove the coats, you're allowed to remove the splinters, because that doesn't belong in the body. It's not a part of the body. So when you remove it, you take a foreign object out of the body. That's mutar and That's not metakin gavra. That's just taking something that doesn't belong there out. On the other hand, here, whether you explain it as you're moving the skin over, or whether you explain it as straightening out, realigning the limbs, over there, that's an internal structure of the individual. And when you do that, you're actually fixing... Metakin Gavri, you're actually making a change within the individual in their internal structure. And that would be problematic on Shabbat, according to Rav Nachman. The next Mishnah, Kaneh Shel Zetim. You have a reed, or more like a bamboo shoot, that you use to mix the olives that are ripening. They let them to ripen, to soften, before they put them into the press. So in there, you mix them up. In the Matan, you mix them up with this reed. Mish Kesher Biroshel. It has a knot at its head. The knot over here at the head is the equivalent when you see in the bamboo that sometimes the bamboo is hollow, but along the way you have knots that make it that it's not hollow. But then it's mikabel tuma. Vimlav, it doesn't have that knot at the top. Ein mikabel tuma. Ben kach, ben kach nital b'shabbat. Either way, you can carry it on Shabbat because either way it's functional. It has a function in terms of mixing, in terms of utilization on Shabbat, so that's fine. In terms of Tumah, whether it's Tameh or not, is a technicality which the Gemara discusses right now. Amai, why is it mikabel tuma at all? Shute kli eitzhu. It's a principle when it comes to wooden utensils. Wooden utensils that are flat, that do not have a makom kibul, they do not have an, a receptacle area, are not mikabel tumah. That's because the Torah compares eitz to sak, to a sack. A sack, just like a sack has a receptacle in which to hold things, so too a wooden utensil is only considered to be tameh if it has a receptacle in which to receive things. If it's a flat piece of wood, it's not mikabel tumah. So Tosafot in other places in Shas talks about it's a flat piece of wood, it's not singularly tahor or tameh. There's different designations, it depends if it's used utensils, depending on the size of them, and exactly what the utility is that sometimes shudiklates can be mikabel tumah. In Menachot, he discusses this. But over here, as far as we are concerned, that this is a flat utensil. It doesn't have a receptacle in it. And therefore, it should not be mikabel tumah. Shudiklates any mikabel tumah. My time, why aren't they mikabel tumah? Dumiya desak bayina. said to you before, because of the nature of where it's learned from in the Torah. Over there, it compares wood to sak. And since they are paralleled in Pasuk, it has to have a receptacle like Sak. So no, it, it does have a receptacle in it. Even though, when we're talking about the Kesher, the knot on top, that's where it's Mechabal Tumah. When it says it's Shutekliyetz, all it does is mix with it. Receptacle is not used because the hollowness of this reed or this bamboo is towards the bottom. So with the knot on top, you're not going to keep anything in there. The oil in there is not going to matter. He turns it over to see the oil itself, how much oil is in there. So he sometimes uses it as a receptacle by turning it around. By turning it over and using the top part that does have a small receptacle in it and making it into a clee keyboard. I would say something equivalent to what you have in the car today, the oil dipstick. When you go in to see how high the oil comes up. So something akin to that, which you would use. If you have this, you can put it in, you can turn it over and see how far the oil went to take some of the oil out. Whatever it is that you're looking for, 
some equivalent to that. And therefore, it does have a receptacle that is utilized. Therefore, it's Mikabal Tuma in this case. The next Mishnah. Any Kli can be carried on Shabbat, carried for a specific purpose that's Mutar on Shabbat, except for these two items that are accepted from the rule. Meser Agadol is the big saw that was used for cutting in large pieces of wood, large trees. That big saw you can't take on Shabbat. And Yatej Shal Machresha. The pin of the plow. The pin of the plow is actually the blade that cuts the furrows in the ground. It's the actual metallic piece, the most important piece of the machresha, of the plow, which is that which sinks into the ground and makes the furrows when you pull it along. So those two items, because what we bumped into before, are muksa machmati sarunkis. They are very expensive, very particular in their usage, and therefore people will not utilize them for anything else. They want to keep them specifically for that purpose, and therefore they're muks on Shabbat, because it's as if you push it away with your hands and say, I'm not going to use this on Shabbat, because I would not end up and use it for anything besides their primary purpose. Now Gora says, Amr of Nachman, Hi, Uchla de Katsre, Shemachresha Damyo. This Uchla de Katsre, and Arashi brings two interpretations as to what this Uchla de Katsre is. It says it's Kleine Choshet, it's a proper utensil. Suikinafa, it's made like a sieve, it has holes in it. Nikavim, Nikavim. Bushal Kopsim, it's for the launderers. That's Katsre are launderers. Vinot no al. And he waves it on top of the clothing. And that sprinkles water on it. So the first way that Rashi explains it, it's basically the equivalent of what you would have like a sprinkler. The sprinkler is you have the hose, you have an attachment at the end, and it pushes it through the holes at the end, like we have in your shower head or something like that. It sprinkles the water out because of the holes that are in it. So, so they had this equivalent of a sifter, a sieve, and you put the water on top, and then it allows you to drip the water over the clothing. The alternative is They used to burn incense underneath this glee, and they used to put the clothing in the glee in order to deodorize the clothing. The clothing would sit on top, and you couldn't put it on the fire where the incense was being burnt, otherwise it would burn the clothing. So they had on top these items with grating, basically, holes in it to allow the incense to come up into the clothing without burning it. Iraq, yeah, equivalent of Iraq. Same utensil, just a question of you using it to pour something through it, or allow something to come up through it. But it's used by the launderers. Again, what Rav Nachman says is this has the same din as the pin of the plow, meaning that it's very unique and designated for its primary purpose. We won't let you use it for anything else. Therefore, it's muksa, machmat, chisaron, kis, and shabbat. I'm Rabbi, charba de ushkape. Rashi says that this is the knife of the, whether it's a leather worker or the cobbler, he uses to cut the leather with, a very specific type of knife. Again, that you would not allow it to use for something else. Pesakina de Ashkavto. Rashi says this is butcher's knife. Basically like a hatchet that he uses to cut up the meat. That's what Rashi says. Tosafot on the other hand says it's a chalaf. It's a shkita knife. Shkita knife where the shokhe will not let you use his knife for anything besides shkita. If it gets a gum in it, the knife is ruined. He can't use it for shkita. So therefore he would never allow you to use it for anything else. And that becomes muksa on Shabbat. Same thing as the Milo knife, a knife that's used by the Mohel. It's a knife that's a very particular use, and it's expensive, and they would not let you use it for anything else, because it gets ruined, it cannot be used any again for its primary purpose. And then, Bechatsino Dinagre, and the, but this is a spade or a pickaxe that is used by the Nagre or the carpenters, the ads of the carpenter. They have the same din as the pin of the plow, which is, they have very, very specific purpose. Expensive kli that we're not going to allow you to use for any alternative, and therefore it's automatically books on Shabbat, no matter what the purpose you want to use it for on Shabbat. Tarabanan. So now the Gemara is going to give us basically the history of Shabbat. In the time of Nechemia, the Gemara will get to this later, they said that all kelim are muks on Shabbat, except for these three kelim. Miktsoa shel dvela. The knife or cutter of the dvelad, the cakes of dried figs, which they used to have to cut to eat, that you're allowed to use. Vizuma listaran shokdera. Rashi says this is a ladle or a spoon, which they used to use to take off, skim the top of the soup or the top of the pots for anything that they didn't want in there. And sakin ktana shokdera shukhan. And then a normal little knife that you use to cut your bread and your cheese with. Those were the only three utensils they allowed on Shabbat. Remember, this is prior to the fork before they use the utensils to eat. So the only utensil that you would have at the table is a knife to cut with. Right, they weren't eating with other kalim. They had other kalim, but they were all used in the cooking process, not used for actually eating with. 
They ate with their hands. The only thing you need is a knife to cut the bread or to cut the cheese to cut certain items. Otherwise, everything was done by hand. So those are the three items that were allowed. Only those three. Only three kelim allowed on Shabbat. Oh, very good question. So what about plates, cups, basic utensils that they did have and they did use? So Tosfot over here says, that was a given. If you look at the second Tosfot, he says, They only enumerated here, kelim, utensils that do not have a receptacle in them. Kelim, they have a receptacle in them, of course, can be used on Shabbat. Like what you were saying, cups, plates, basic items like that, they were clearly mutar on Shabbat. They're only telling you about utensils that don't have a receptacle that were allowed to be used on Shabbat. So these were the three exceptions to that rule. Then afterwards, Heitiru, they were matir once. Chazruve Heitiru, they were matir a second time. Chazruve Heitiru, they were matir a third time. What they're matir, the Gemara is going to go through in a second. Ashamru, until they reached the point, which is our Mishnah. Until they reach our Mishnah, which is the exact opposite. The other could say, which is that everything's mutar to use, except for the exception of these two items. Right, correct. Which is the examples that were brought by the Amoraim here. Anything similar to them would also be that carry which is Muksa Mahmat Chisangis is the only problem here. Question is, what happened? So, what was the progression here? So, Bayi says, this is the progression. The first time that they allowed more Kelim, from the most stringent form, where they only allowed these three Kelim, the first time that they opened up a little bit was, they said something that's Kalisha Mahtol the Its primary purpose is for something Mutar on Shabbat. So Kufo, to use it for that purpose on Shabbat, Mutar. Kazruve Tiru, the second time they opened up and allowed things to be used was Dabar Shemachtol Hetter, the Tzorok Mikomo. Said something that, again, otherwise is Mutar to use on Shabbat, that not only can you move it for its primary purpose, you can move it if you need that space. If it's sitting somewhere where you need it to, for instance, sit on the couch. Happens to stay on the couch, you can move it out of the way, it's not a problem with Muks anymore. But Kazruve Tiru, then they came back and said something that's primary purpose is for Isur, If you use it on Shabbat for something that's mutar, fine, the hammer to crack the, net, the nut with, that's fine on Shabbat. in, But you can only do it for its utilization, but not to move it if you need the space. In, with one hand, yes. If you take two hands to move it, then no. Until they reach the point, all gilim like our mitzvah can be taken even if they take two hands to move it, except for the meser agadol and yatid shemachresha. Amalei Rava, Rava disagrees with the bias progression and says mikdei heitiruktani. It says they were matir mali tzorak kufo mali tzorak mekomo. How do you divide up between something that is tzorak kufo meaning you're using it for its primary purpose? Versus tzorak mekomo if you need the place. If it's not muksa, it's not muksa. Period. You can't have this mixing and matching. If it's mutter for tzarek kufo, it's also mutter for tzarek mekomo. Those come in, in a package together. If you can utilize the hammer to crack the nut, you can also move the hammer if it's on the couch. Because it has purpose on Shabbos. It has purpose on Shabbos. You can move it. It's not completely muksa. That is Rava's position. And therefore, Rava lays out the muksa in a different manner. And this is the aloha. This is the way we look at muksa la which is Elam Rava. Heitiru devar shemachtola heter. Ben tzarek kufo, ben tzarek mekomo. The first... Time that they were matir, they were matir, kelim that are otherwise usable on Shabbat. They are used for hetar purposes on Shabbat. You can use them, you can move them, the tzorach kufo, for their primary purpose, as well as tzorach mikomo, if you need the place. So for instance, forks. If you have a fork, you can move it to eat with it on Shabbat. You can also move it if you need the space. It's sitting somewhere where you need the space. Not only can you do this for eating with it, not only can you do it to clear the space out, you can also do it to protect the object. The object is sitting out in the sun, and it's going to ruin the object. You're allowed to move it from the sun into the shade. Here you have no purpose for it. You don't need the place where it's sitting, but nevertheless, to protect the object, we allow you to move it on Shabbat. That's the second heter. The third heter is, If you have a hammer that's normally used for Isur, on Shabbat, you're now allowed to use it, means you can crack a nut with it. If it's on your couch, you can move it to sit on the couch. What you can't do is, if it's sitting out in the sun, you can't move it into the shade. That we do not allow when it's a klishim melachto the isur. That's where the loch is. Vadain vadam echadin b'shnei b'nei adam lo. That's only if you can carry it with one person, but not with two people. Hachemru kol kelim nitalim b'shabbat afilu b'shnei b'nei adam. And then our Mishnah comes and says, even if it requires two people to move it, it's still mutar to use on Shabbat as long as it has tzorch kufa or tzorch mikomo is the qualification for it. And that's what our Mishnah came to. So again, this is the way that we have a muksa today, which is a klishim melachto the heter. You can move for tzorch kufo, tzorch mikomo, and michamal itself. All those three items. There are many that point out that those are the three reasons. But if you simply want to play 
with your fork at the table, just turn it over and play with it, then you may not be able to do that on Shabbat, because that's not one of those three categories. It's not Tzorach Kufo, Mekomo, or Micham Aletzel. Others argue maybe that's Tzorach Kufo, because that's what you want it for, that's what you like to do, play with the cutlery. So as Klishim Latol Isur, when it comes to a object that is primarily used for Isur, then you can only use it Tzorach Kufo, Tzorach Mekomo, to use it for hammer, for cracking the nuts. Or you need the place where it's sitting. Michal itself, you cannot move it. And certainly for no reason at all, you cannot move it. If you have objects that are so expensive, or objects that have a very particular purpose that you wouldn't use them for alternative purposes, those are automatically muksa and Shabbat, and you can't move them. That was the cases of Yatej, Shemachresha, Meser Gadol, and other objects like that. Now, Eitzvei Abayi, Abayi challenges Rava's understanding from the Tosefta that we had before, which is Meducha, Meshba Shum, Mital Tulim If you have a mortar that has garlic and it, you can move it. You can't move it. According to Rava, you have alternatives, just like we saw by Rabba before. If you think you can move something with Tzorach Kufa, why does it have to have garlic in it and to move it? If you have a purpose on Shabbat to utilize it for, then you can move it. If you have Tzorach Magoma, you need the place, you should be able to move it. Garlic should not be the determining factor about whether you can move it or not, whether it has something that's hectare inside of it. The Gemara says, Achamayskina Michamalitzel. A mortar is a Gleisha Malachtodi Isur. Gleisha Malachtodi Isur, we know there's a category where you can't move it. That's Michamalitzel. Let's move it from the sun to the shade. That you can't do. That writer is talking about that case of Michamalitzel. Remember, the Gemara earlier for Rabbi answered, oh, that's Rabbi Nechemia. Gemara over here does not use that answer because Allah is not like Rabbi Nechemia. So they'd rather set up the answer here not to be Rabbi Nechemia, but rather to be a answer that is Allah's. Rabbi here says it's Micham Litzel. Amar Rabbi Chanina. Now we get the history about what happened. Be'ein Nechemia ben Chakalaya nishneit Mishnah zu. This Mishnah was written in the time of Nechemia, the Navi Nechemia. Ezra Nechemia, that's the Nechemia we're speaking about here. Because, Dichtiv, it says in the time of Nechemia, Be'amim Ahema, Re'itim Yehuda. I went out on Shabbat in Yehuda, and I saw Dochim Gitot, they were working the presses. Be'Shabbat, Umevim Arimot, and they're bringing in the bundles, they're bringing in the stacks. They were working on Shabbat. There was no Shabbat. Basically, they were doing work. So then he said, uh-oh, this is a huge problem. So what did they do? They went ahead and Gozer Muksa. That what he said before, there were only three kelim that would retire, everything else was muksa. That was Nehemiah's response to the problem of people working on Shabbat. So he went to an extreme. In order to solve that problem, they went to an extreme and they made everything a surah on Shabbat, except for those three kelim. In order to prevent people from engaging in work on Shabbat. As they saw that Shabbat was becoming Shabbat, they slowly were matir and allowed other kelim to come back. They went back to normal. This is a way to solve problems. The Rambam's shita as well with the Shvila Zahav. When you have a problem, you have to go to the opposite extreme to balance it out. Once you've got it back to balance, then you have to slowly bring everything back into balance. So that's basically what happened with the Muqsa. But what Rabbi Hanina says here is something interesting. He says that these Mishnayot that you have problems with were all said in the time of Nehemiah. They were said in the time of Nehemiah when Muksa was a sewer. So therefore they have no application today. So that's Amar of Elazar, Kanin, Maklot, Glustra, Meducha, Kulan, Kodim Hatarat, Kelim, Nishnu. So here Rabbi Hanina says this regards to this case of Meducha, this case in the mortar. That Mishnah was said before they were Matir Muksa. So it's not a question on Rava because it was before they went through these stages of Heter. Rav is talking post-stages of Heter. That Mishnah is talking about prior to that. It's time in Nehemiah. So now Rabbi Elazar expands it and says, I have four Mishnayot that I think were all written prior to the heter of Muksa. And that is the one of Kanim, the canes, the poles, Maklot, stavings, the glustra, fastenings, and Meducha was the mortar that we just saw. All of them were before Atarat Kelim. Kanin, what's the case of Kanin? It's not, we have a Mishnah. Lo sidera Kanim, veloni tilatam dochet Shabbat. You're not allowed to. This is a Mishnah in Minachot about the Lechem Apanim. When they used to set up the Lechem Apanim on the Shulchan, they did not put it one on top of the other. They were stacked six high next to each other on the Shulchan. They were stacked up on the Shulchan. They didn't stack them on top of each other because the weight of the breads would crush breads underneath them and they also would not allow for airflow, which would cause them to go bad. Be ma'apish. So what they had were these kanim, they had these little poles that they used to put in there that raised them, let them sit above each other with airspace between them. On Shabbat, they used to exchange the lechem apanim. Last week's lechem apanim was taken off, in the middle of Shabbat, and the new lechem apanim was put on. So when they removed the lechem apanim, they didn't take these poles off, and when they put it on, they didn't put them in, insert them in. Before Shabbat, they used to go in there and take them out, the poles. On Shabbat, they would take the bread off, stack the new bread on Shabbat without putting the poles in. After Shabbat, they used to put the poles in. So each set of bread, the old bread was there for half a day without poles, and the new bread was there for half a day without poles. In that short time, they weren't worried about it getting crushed or about it going bad. So they didn't allow it on Shabbat because it's muksa. Putting the poles in is muksa on Shabbat. 
They have no purpose, these poles on Shabbat. And therefore, they are muksum. So when was this said? He says, this was said by the time of Nechemia. Before they allowed these things, which are to be used on Shabbat. The Tzorak Kufo, Tzorak Mukomal. It's the case of Tzorak Kufo. You need the poles to put under the bread. You should be allowed to use them. The answer is, this was before they had the Heterim in the Gzairat. Oh, very good. So those would ask your question. Don't we have a principle in Shavut B'Migdash? There are no Dinei Derabonan in general. We don't uphold Dinei Derabonan in the Mikdash. Tosfot says, you can look throughout Shas, there's certain Shvutim that they do. There's certain Dirabanans that they did uphold in the Mikdash. It's a general principle with exceptions. And this is one of the exceptions to that rule. We have other places you can look at throughout Shas where we see that there is a Shvut B'Migdash. It's not a absolute type of principle in Shavu B'Migdash. It's just a general principle which has exceptions to it. The next case is Makvot. It's not. They used to flay the Korban Pesach. They used to stand opposite each other and they had these poles that they set on their shoulders. Poles that they set on their shoulders, they used to hang the animal over those poles and they'd flay the animal in that way because they had something to hold the animal up on these poles. They used to hook them up onto the poles. Rabbi Lazar Omer, Arbat Sashikhali Opish Shabbat, if the 14th falls out on Shabbat, Erev Pesach is on Shabbat, Meniach Yado, Katev Chevrovo, Yado, Achavero, Altefo, Utaleo Mafshit. You can't use these poles because they are muksa. What you do is you basically extend your arms, one arm onto your friend's shoulder, he extends his arm onto your shoulder, and with the free arm, you work the flayed animal when it's hanging or laid over your two arms. So here you see that you have a problem of muksa for these poles. Again, they're Kalish Machtoli, so they're used for shape. they're used for flaying on a weekday when you do the Garbana Pesach, they are muksa. Again, the answer is that that Mishnah was said prior to the Heter after Nechemia. It's for still from the time of Nechemia when they were not matter. Kalishim Lachdolisa, the Torah Kufo. Over here it's Kalishim Lachdolisa, but you need it. On Arab Pesach, which is the time you bring the Garbana Pesach, that falls out on Shabbat, you're allowed to do Hefshet. It's mutter to do Hefshet. That Hefshet is mutar, then it becomes Torah Kufo, you should be allowed to use it. The answer again is that this was before the Heterim, after the time of Nechemia. Now the last Glustra, what's this case of the Glustra, which is they're fastening, it's a door bolt of some sort. Nagar. If you have this locking mechanism, that has at its head a, whether it's a bulb or large area at the top, that can be used for crushing garlic or doing other things with it, which would make it into a klish to the heter. Pull it out of the door. Put it onto the next door if you need it over there. It's like a regular klishim. And you can carry it around the chatzer. What Yeshua suggests is that you can't carry it directly. You have to drag it on the ground. You have to do tilto minatzad. So if you have the glustra here, you can pull it by this glustra and drag it along the ground to move to the other door. Even though it's a klishim lachto the head there, nevertheless, we force you to do tilto minatzad and not regular tilto with it. On the other hand, Rabbi Tarpon says you can carry it outright. Meducha is the final situation, which is Hadamran. We said this already. It was with the Shum. That Meducha needs garlic in it or to move it. If it doesn't have garlic in it, you can't move it. Again, he says that that was in the time of Nehemiah. So all these statements in these Breitot or Mishnayot we're saying happened prior to the Heterim after Nehemiah. The reason that these items are Muksa is because at that time was not Mutar if it's our Kufo. But by the time you're talking now, after all the Heterim, by the time of the Mishnah, already it's Tzorak Kufo's Mutar, and all these items would have been Mutar. These are ancient Mishnayot. These are Mishnayot that are no longer relevant, because they were stated in a time when there was no Heter for Kalishim Lachtol the Isur. Or Kalishim Lachtol the Heter. Omar Rabba rejects this understanding of Rabbi Lazar. Mimai. How do you know that's true? All of these Mishnayot were said... Even after all the Heterim. Well, after after the Heterim, why do we not allow to use them? There is Litzorech Gufo. So he gives you an answer for each one of them. Kanim, by the poles, time of Mai. What's the reason you can't put the Mamishum Ipushe? It's so that the bread doesn't go bad. doesn't go moldy. Bahai Purta, Lomi Aptush. In that small time, it won't go bad. So you only have it on there half a day on Shabbat for the bread you're going to remove, half a day for the new bread. It's not going to go bad if you just leave it there for half a day without the poles. Since it's possible to do without it, it's not necessary. It doesn't become Torah Kufu anymore because it can be done after Shabbat without any problem. So this could be even after the Heter of Torah Kufu by Maklot, if Shark Rabbalazar. By the poles, you're right. The poles, maybe you should be able to use them for Torah Kufu, but the answer is that we have an alternative. The alternative is to do like Rabbalazar said, to put your arm on your friend's shoulder and to do it that way. Since there's a possible way to do it without engaging in Muksa, we're going to recommend you do it that way. Glustura, Kedarabiyanai. The case of the locking mechanism, 
There, it's like Rabbi Yanai. Dama Rabbi Yanai. Bechatzer she'ena me'urevet askinan. Case here is we're talking about a chatzer that didn't have an eruv in it. So now we have a chatzer that doesn't have an eruv in it. Anything that's in the house, you can't take out into the chatzer. Because that's the gzerot chachamim. That a chatzer is like a public place. It's similar to a public place because you have multiple owners. Therefore, you're killing that in your house, which is a real rishut yachid. You can't take out to the chatzer unless you make an eruv. Then the kilim that stay in the chatzer. You can move them around. You can carry in the chatzer itself. Because those kelim reside in the chatzer and you can move them around. So this is the machloket and that mission between Rabbi Shu and Rabbi Tarfon is a case where there's no eruv in the chatzer. Rabbi Yeshua Savar Tocha Petach Kilifnim Domi. That the doorway is like inside the house. And since it's like inside the house, it's equivalent of being in the house, which is a Rishuti Yachid, and you can't carry from inside the house into the chatzer. If you were to literally carry the locking mechanism out through the chatzer to the other doorway, you'd be carrying a utensil that was in the house out to the chatzer, which is not allowed without an eruv. Therefore, you can only drag it along, you can't carry it there. The doorway is equivalent of being in the chatzer. You're allowed to carry an object that was in the courtyard, you're allowed to carry in the courtyard, even without an eruv. If it's a courtyard kli, you're allowed to carry in the courtyard. And this is a courtyard kli, because the doorway is like the chatzer. Meducha, ducha, well, only when it has garlic in it, can you move it? Without garlic, you can't move it? What about Torah Kufa? What about Torah Mekomo? The answer is, like we said before, for Rabba, that's authored by Rebbe Nechemia. Since it's authored by Rebbe Nechemia, that's why it's a sore. It's not a sore because it was before the time of the Heter, after Nechemia, but rather like Rebbe Nechemia. This is not Nechemia the Novi, but Rebbe and Rebbe Nechemia who, similar to the time of Nehemiah, says all kelim are only allowed to be used for their primary purpose, nothing else. So the meducha here, unless it's being used for its primary purpose, is muksa on Shabbat. So Rabbah rejects this understanding that these Mishnayot are no longer relevant, that these are ancient Mishnayot that were said in the time of Nehemiah the Navi. No, rather, they are Mishnayot that are relevant today. And the reason these objects don't get the heter of Tzorach Kufo or Tzorach Mikomo is because in each case there's a particular reason why there's a problem. By the Bekanim and the Maklot, you could do it without them. You could put the bread on and wait till after Shabbat. You can be do have shade, you can flay the animal without using the poles. In the latter two, these are different cases. The case by the locking mechanism, it's talking about a chatzer shenim yurev, talking about a case where you don't have an eruv in the chatzer, is a kli chatzer, kli bite, that's the Maklokit there. And the last, by Meducha, we said it's authored by Rebbe Nechemia. So far, they are relevant Mishnayot today, but because of the circumstances, situation, that's why Sarakufa and Sarakufa doesn't work there. We'll stop here.